0: If you've been here with us for the past few weeks, and, and probably more so if you haven't, let me catch you up on what we've been chatting about. First of all, we've been chatting about community, as you can see, and really what this means, and we kind of got it started right after Easter, and kind of kind of foretelling kind of the, the resurrection of the church, and kind of the beginnings Of the church, right after uh, Jesus was crucified and resurrected, uh, these people begin to, uh, you know, they begin to establish the new what we know as the New Testament church. And so, um, we we kind of got it started in Genesis. Actually, before that, we got started in Genesis by really looking at at community has always been. There's always been community. God Himself is in community through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's always been present. So there's never been a time where community was not present. And uh, Scripture says that let's make man in our image. And so we're made in in the likeness that we have a need for community, not only communion with God, but community with each other. So it's it's different, it's more than this buzzword that's kind of come through our society of, yeah, let's be in community. But it's something real that's at our very nature as human beings. So we started there, and then we kind of jumped to to Acts chapter 2, where we see kind of the formation of the New Testament church. And really some miraculous, I mean, just things taking place and, and uh, really for us to begin to see the that, that the framework, the groundwork that kind of set this whole thing in motion that's been going for the past 2,000 years. And as we b- began to look at that, we, we saw that they, the early church, they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to truth. They were devoted to prayer, to fellowship, to really meeting at this point of Jesus and, and also breaking bread, communion, and just and just doing life together, and that's something that we want to model here in, in every aspect of what we are. So we, we saw that foundation, and last week Jesse kind of jumped us to, to, to John 15, and really the source and the origin of our community has to be connected to Jesus. We, we can bear no fruit, nothing good can come of our lives if we're not connected to Jesus. And anytime we try to separate ourselves from the church, try to separate ourselves from the body, fruit begins to be barren. And it's all about producing that good fruit in our life um, and and those those good things that are happening out of a relationship with Jesus. And so today, I I don't wish to, I'll never close a series, I'll never wrap up a series, but what I simply want to do is just release scripture and release us to go embody what it means to be the church as a life-giving community. It's about breathing life, and to kind of jump into this, I want to tell you, I wish it was a short story, but it's a little bit of a long story. You know how people say long story short, but it's like short story long most of the time? Um, I'll just say it's short story long. I was reading this book uh, months back, and uh, I have an author I really like to read. His name is Malcolm Gladwell. He's like a New New York Times bestseller. And he wrote this book called Outliers, and the, the book begins with uh, this story of these Italian immigrants that migrated over in the middle of the 19th century. And uh, the story goes that there's about 15 men from this small Italian community known as Rosetto that, that migrated over to the States, and they found themselves at where, where most Italians migrated to where? Yeah, New York, Little Italy is actually kind of where they rested for a little bit. But they really wanted something different in the big city life. They were used to a smaller town community type. Feel anybody grow grew up in the small towns? Anybody? Anybody? Well, you guys are big, big city folk, right? <laughs> so they really sought out a place that was less kind of congregated and less busy and just a different lifestyle. And so they found themselves outside of Bangor, Pennsylvania. And you've probably heard of Bangor, but you've probably heard of Bangor, Maine. And you've never heard of Bangor, Pennsylvania, even those uh, Pennsylvania, how many Pennsylvania folks we got? I know we've got some, yeah, look at that, goodness gracious, lots of Pennsylvania folks. You've probably never heard of Bangor, Pennsylvania, it's in the middle of nowhere. So outside of Bangor is really where they found themselves in the middle of nowhere, which is really what they were looking for. So they found themselves there. They kind of begin to set up shop and kind of begin to form what their community is going to look like. Wouldn't that be cool? You ever dreamed of that? Like what it would go to just start our own city. Have you ever thought about that? Or like go to Deserted Island, do Gilligan's Island and just start your own city. So they're kind of doing that number. And, uh, you know, over the next 50 to 60 years, really... Within the next maybe 20 to 30 years, about 1,500 people from their small Italian community migrate to the U.S. into this small area. Of course, they're from Rosetto, Italy. So what do you think they named the place? They named it Rosetto. When you're in the middle of the woods, you can name your street what you want to. So they named it after where they came from in in Rosetto, Pennsylvania. It's in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. So the story uh, is just, okay, cool, Uh, migration took place. Yeah, we, we know about that. The story got a little bit interesting in the middle of the 20th century when, when a man by the name of Dr. Stuart Wolfe, who was uh, a professor of medicine out at the University of Oklahoma, and he spent his summers in Bangor, Pennsylvania. And so he, he had been do, uh, teaching medicine for a long time at the University of Oklahoma, would come back to Bangor. And this particular summer, he was home and he was delivering a lecture at like a regional kind of gathering, a convention or conference or something. And he's having this lecture. He has the lecture, and then afterwards, he has another doctor that asks him to go out for a drink. Afterwards, so they go out and they're hanging out and they're just kind of carrying on a conversation. And the story kind of makes a drastic turn to where it peaks. Doctor Wolf's—that um, sounds like a funny name, Doctor Wolf. Um, it sounds like a you know nursery tale or something. And Doctor Wolf came around the corner, uh, but Doctor Wolf is kind of his interest is piqued as the other physician says. You know, I've been practicing medicine here for, you know, 20-something years. He said, and I've never found a person from this small community, he was aware of this community, from Rosetto, from these uh, Italian immigrants, I've never found one of them that has heart disease under the age of 65. None of them. Under the age of 65, which... I don't know how much you know about kind of the progression of cholesterol medicine and blood pressure medicine and really how, how much of a heart disease is like a number one killer at this time. And it's still a major killer. I don't know if it's the number one killer. But men under 65, it's common. How many people do you hear that die? Probably people in your family have died of heart disease before the age of you know, 50 even. Um, and, and so it was a very common thing before the kind of invention of cholesterol and blood pressure medicine. So Dr. Wolf is stunned. I mean, literally, for a doctor, he says this is impossible. Like, he, he's kind of struck, and like, there's, there's no, it's, you, you look everywhere in the nation, it's the number one killer. How is no one in the small community dying of this? And so it piqued his interest, as it would many of us. And he, it leads them to put together a team of doctors and put together a team of sociologists that are going to find out the answer. Why are these people so healthy? Why are they not getting heart disease? And, and so as they kind of begin to do this, what's the first thing you would begin to think about? You think about what they eat, right? You think about what they, how they exercise, right? So that's the first thing the doctors kind of go to. Let's, let's rule everything out. So they start there. And they found, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with Italian food, but um, not the healthiest cuisine in the world. Lots of oils, lots of cheeses, um, and uh, what they studied about these people, their exercise patterns and their food should give the exact opposite results that they had. So they're just scratching their head, and it's getting tougher and tougher to figure out what is causing health in these people and life in these people. So they begin to look at the dirt and the soil, like, okay, we'll dig down. And they begin to check the dirt and the oil, or the, the oil, dirt and the water, and realize that it's the same there as it is in Bangor, as it is everywhere else. And they're looking at this one small community. Well, maybe it's just something in their blood. Maybe it's genetic. So they begin to look at other people who didn't migrate there. And look at that. Heart disease is present. Something is at play here that they can't put their finger on. So, so they begin to look at their, their community life. They begin to look at just how they live, how these people live. And they, they found that they've exhausted all their options, and they found this. They found that often people would stop on the street and just have conversations together. They would go up to each other's doors, just knock on the door, and just have conversations that lasted a long time. All the time they were having barbecues in their backyard, what the uh, Italian equivalency of a barbecue is, I don't know. But they would always get together in their backyard and cook and eat and have lots of family over. They regularly attended Mass. It was a part of their life as devout Catholics. And they began to notice that three generations would often live in one house. There would be three generations under one roof. And there was an enormous amount of respect and honor given to the eldest generation. An enormous amount of respect given to the eldest generation. And, and they begin to kind of put all these pieces together, the, and there is something about their community life, and doing life together as they were, and this respect and honor, and just something that was literally healing their hearts, and was keeping stuff out, and you may find that unbelievable. Believable, and they did too. And so you can imagine what took place when they begin to take this to medical forums and begin to, uh, you know, relay their findings. They're laughed out of the room for many years. But slowly but surely, stress and, and the role of family and community and people around you has become more and more ex- 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 um, understood in the medical community. Not in the greatest form, because it's still so counter thinking that this could actually do something to us deeper but community actually brings physical life. And I believe that when we begin to put Jesus in the middle of that and at the center of that I believe that it not only makes our, our body well and makes our minds well but it will restore our souls or be grounded in truth that we can't be shaken. It's such a powerful story. I thought, what an incredible way as we just kind of release this thought of a life-giving community into our lives and begin to practice this, see what vital role this can play in our lives. And I wonder, as we look through all those things that were making them healthy, how many of those things aren't a part of our life? Uh, You know, how much conversation isn't regular. We're just caught in our schedules. We're busy. We don't often, we just go to our house, we lock the doors, and we stay in. We don't have a, a, a respect and an honor for the generations that have gone before us. We most of the time just criticize what they've done. We don't have that honor and respect for that. We take meetings together casually as if it's just another occurrence, but what if it saves your life at some point? You don't know how much you need community till you don't have it, and your world's falling apart, and it's all you have, is to be there with Christ and found in a community believe that God's going to do something significant in our lives today. So we're going to jump into just really the early church here in just a second. But before we do, I want to kind of hit a little rewind button and jump right back before... Um, uh, Jesus is crucified in in Matthew chapter 28 we find this verse of scripture Uh, many of you will will, will know it as the great commission we actually call it our mission statement around here Um, we don't have another mission statement we just thought that's really really good (laughs) Jesus said go therefore can you guys throw that out there go therefore and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the Holy Spirit, let's continue on, verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, go back to the, the verse 19. I want you to see the beginning of this. It starts with go and make disciples. I don't know how familiar you are with, with church trends and this kind of whole thing of church. Maybe it's new to you. That's okay. Maybe you've been around in a long time, but let me just kind of zoom back for a second and just kind of survey the landscape for a second. Here's what's taken place in the church: is that we've become very excited about growth. Sounds good, doesn't it? Like, yeah, we want this thing to grow. We want people to be drawn in. Everybody's really excited about growth. Churches are, are all about multiplying the numbers, going up and up in attendance. And this has become a bit of a scoreboard for us. In, in fact, many times as a pastor, I, the first question I get from someone who doesn't isn't within this community is this question: pastors asking each other. So uh, how many of you are running? <laughs> it's a question. How many of you guys are running? And usually, I'm not going to tell you what goes through my head um, of what I want to say. Um, we'll just keep that between me and Jesus. Um, but it speaks something about this generation and what the scoreboard is in ministry circles. And if we look at this, it's what Jesus said our mission is. Our, our scoreboard is laid out right here for us. go. And do what? And make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all. That's the scoreboard. And many times we want to make it about everything else. In current trends, it's become um, really... uh, I think now on the scoreboard, and I think this is a good thing, we, we've become all about justice, and I think that's an amazing thing. I think it's something that Jesus believes in. Some circles are, are completely focused on healing and how many people are being healed, and everybody's got kind of their, their own scoreboard, and Jesus is all about that. We're all about our numbers, and we're all about how many people are in our small groups, and Jesus is, is really proud and excited about every single one of those things. But you want to know what? All of those things should be byproduct of the main thing that's on our scoreboard. Those things are just a part of the box score, but this is really the score. Are we making disciples? Are people actually being transformed? Or are we just getting good crowds together to hear music? There's something deeper here that Jesus is spurring us onto, and it's beyond the scores that we want to think about into something deeper, something that will truly impact the kingdom of God. God, I mean, parents in here... If your son or daughter, if they disobey you in some way, do you stop loving them? I know the answer is no. I hope it's no. I hope you don't stop loving them, but what? You're disappointed in them. And many times in our culture, in our generation, we can kind of have this understanding of that it's just okay that we're constantly disappointing God because the gospel of grace kind of makes provision for our faults, Thank God. Because <laughs> I'll have some today and so will you. Thank God. But, but something within us has also released us to just continue on sinning and continue on in our faults and never be transformed. And we look the same year after year and nothing is actually being transformed in our life. And I believe that's something that community can do for us. And, and if the, the word disciples just weirds you out and you have no idea what it means, it simply means following Jesus and being obedient to Jesus. That's as simple as as I can make it. When when Jesus goes by and he he calls men to follow him, they just simply come and and they obey. And we can make things really difficult in our head about what this life is supposed to look like, but it's simply supposed to be following Jesus and obeying him. And and the goal of the church, our mission is disciple making. Everything else is byproducts of, it's a part of disciple making, it's growth, it's processing. And we should be moving from one place to the next. This is our scoreboard. This is what it's all about. Go and make disciples of all nations. And, and maybe you're in this process, and maybe your first step of obedience is getting baptized here in, in just a couple of weeks. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe your step is, is beginning to look around you and, and see what it means to ask the question of what it means to make disciples. And for most of us, I think when you hear, okay, go and make disciples, that kind of scares us a little bit. We're like, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not, I don't even feel like I'm a disciple. Anybody feel like they're a disciple? I don't even know what that, It feels weird to kind of even say because it's kind of out of our kind of American cultural vernacular. But it's something at the core. And here's what, what I think we, we've got to get clear is that being a, a disciple maker is not bringing people to your perfection. It's about pointing people to Jesus, and the truth of Scripture. That's what it means to make disciples, and so if you have all this anxiety about what it means to make disciples, look, take the pressure off yourself. It's not about you being perfect, and you teaching all these perfect things. It's about opening God's Word, and saying, God, what does it mean to follow you, and obey you? We can all do that, It's not reserved for the religious elite, it's a call to every single one of us. You know who Jesus said this to? He said it to a bunch of fishermen. He said it to a bunch of kind of ragtag guys who, you know, didn't always believe in themselves and were constantly getting confused and he believed in them and he gave them this mission, this commission, this mission that we're doing together. So that's kind of the first thing is our mission is disciple making. The second thing I want to discuss today is that our method, our method is relational. The method is relational. That's what it's all about. You can, you can kind of make any kind of form and programs you want, but at the core of it must be relationships. It must be relationships. And that's something, again, in our, in our church culture, in, in Christian culture, especially here in the States. And I'll just be really, it's not like this in other parts of the world. We, we, we Americans, man, we got, we've got a little bit of pride in us. Anybody aware of that? Ameri- and a proud to be an American. We're all excited about that. You guys didn't think you'd hear that today, did you? Um, neither did I. Um, but we're all proud to be an American. We have this pride uh, about being American, and, that, and that's great. But you know what that pride does to us is it thinks that we're good enough on our own and that we don't need this community. We don't need these relationships. But what I'm finding more and more every single day is how desperate I am for it. And I think if you honestly look at yourself, you're probably desperate for it too, in some way, shape, or form. And that point has to be at a relationship with Christ. Many times, again, we can get caught up in deep theological points, but Jesus tried to make it all simple when everybody was getting confused. He's like, look, let's make this thing simple. It's about love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. Everything else, it hangs on these two. So like if you're one of those people that you kind of get caught up in little details, just go back to that. Like am I doing that? Am I embodying this? And it was two relationships that you have to worry about. Just your relationship with Christ first and foremost that Jesse kind of set us forth, being connected to the vine and being connected to the body of Christ, being connected in community. Uh, that relationship is what it's all about but often what's time uh, what's happened in the church is the church has become so institutionalized and less relational it, it's become so organized and really a lot less organic and we can often i think in circles when we were actually planning this church I I called Jesse, and we were talking through this, and I said, it seems like in the church, everyone feels like they have to be on these wings, like you have to be on this, man, we're really super organized, we're really super institutionalized, or, or we're just all about this relationship, we're all, all about just being organic and going with the flow, but what I found in Jesus is Jesus embodies both of these things so well, so, I would even call it perfectly, And really, we're supposed to be all of these things. We're supposed to be creating a divine organism that God's moving forward and he's putting our hands to figure out the way we get there. So as many people as possible can hear the the news, hear this incredible story of Jesus saving us. In redeeming us and restoring us. And I believe that God's doing something in this relational format. And I think we've kind of been swinging back and forth with pendulums. But us as as a church, I want us to find ourselves in the middle that say, let's create the most relational, most life-giving community we can. Jesus delegated. His disciples delegated. Those things are a part of, of what takes place. But the scoreboard is about making disciples. And you cannot make disciples without a relationship can't be obedient without relationship. And so I think this has to go to to our playbook. What's the method in which this is taking place? And kind of where this starts, and what I think is such a heavy word for us, is the word go. And many times, the only times we think we're going is when we go overseas. I've had the privilege of traveling all over the world in missions and been so blessed by that. But you want to know what I've found in my personal journey? I'm not forecasting this on everyone. It's yours could be completely different. I've often found it's easier to go across the world. I mean, literally, it is easier, I feel like, some days for me to raise money to travel across the world and then love people who are, are, are really hurting, really broken. You know what's tough for me sometimes is just to tell the person in the cubicle right next to me, Jesus is in love with you. Because we feel there's no collateral damage overseas, right? It's only going to be a help up. But right there in our cubicle, in our room, in our family, we feel like there's something to lose there, right? like so there's something to lose. And sometimes that's the scariest place for us. It's not traveling into foreign countries. I'm not saying we're not doing that. That's ridiculous. We are going there. We are going there. All, what's that say? Of all nations. We're, we're, we're going there. But, but I think we've got to start at home. When Jesus said proclaim it, he he kind of started at home, and then he said in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. He was kind of working from home on its way out, and so everybody that's that maybe excited about running out, I hope we would be, be just as excited about running next door. Be just as excited about telling the person that we work with and see every single day. That's how disciples are made. There's an incredible kind of phenomenon that took place so sad in Africa in the early 90s. There was all these civil wars going on and and there was Christian missionaries that came in. All these people are dying and they're going in. they're preaching heaven to people. And that's amazing. They're going and preaching heaven and they're basically saying, look, you're probably gonna die tomorrow. Don't you wanna go to heaven? So people would say yes and you know what would happen? The missionaries, they were saving thousands of people. They would leave everybody's Quote, unquote, saved. Everybody's, quote, unquote, going to heaven. But disciples were never made. And these churches were killing each other. They were, they were fighting and murdering each other in the name of Jesus. Both of them in the name of Jesus. And it's like we missed something there. We were just excited about, okay, people are jumping to heaven, to this place. If they're going to die, let's do that. But we care nothing about making disciples. Because that might get messy. We've got to tell somebody the truth. Really, then, this is hard some days our disciple making is is the method is always relational the mission is simple, it's disciple making the method is sometimes tough because it's relational and I believe if if we'll allow God, God's going to really give us a window into this As we look into this Acts chapter 2, we see something introduced in the book of Acts. Uh, After Christ is crucified and resurrected, we we see the Holy Spirit introduced. The Greek word uh, for the word Holy Spirit that we find in our English language, the Greek word is is the term paraclete. Okay, and the paraclete is a comforter. Uh, Jesus said, uh, when I go away, I'll send you a comforter. Uh, I'll send you a paraclete. And, And so one understanding of it is that he's a comforter for us. He's a, a, a guide, it's guidance in our life. He's empowering us with boldness. But also a part of that understanding of that word paraclete means to come alongside of. It means to come alongside of. And that's literally what we're doing. We're doing the work of the Holy Spirit as he empowers us. Let's jump to Acts chapter 2 if we can. Verse 38. Um, Peter replied, repent, be baptized. You guys may feel like we're on repeat. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. We're going to read the whole thing now. Peter replied, repent and be be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's that paraclete word. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call with many other words he warned them he pleaded save yourselves from this corrupt generation this dying generation um decaying generation is another way to look at that. those who accepted his message were baptized and about three thousand were added to their number that day there was a certain boldness that the holy spirit came into their life and gave them where three thousand people could be added to their number in that day would we know what to do when that happens here i don't know i pray that we would About 3,000 people were added to their number, but that was people who were bold. You know how many people there there was kind of at that point, kind of in uh, that upper room? It was like 140-something, 170-something. I I can't remember the exact number right now. Those who were accepted, so there was an incredible multiplication that was taking place. Continue there. They devoted um, uh, themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the foundation we talked about. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Let's continue. Uh, All of the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. I feel like this one always just needs a little bit of slow down. Be like, dude, that's heavy. Like that's a big deal. (laughs) They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I love this part. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. Do you feel like the church has the favor of all people now? I mean, let's be real. I saw a recent survey that was talking about what people thought about the church and kind of the growing disdain for the church. And I think it's this whole, we've become more institutional and Um, more kind of religious and less embodying what scripture teaches here. A lot of relationships. Selling property. I better love somebody to be selling some property and like giving to someone like God's got to do something in me to make that happen. Um, Let's be real. that's, That's some relationship. That's some love that God's spurring in us. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in one instance, we see a massive amount of of, of multiplication. And that's kind of my last point. So the mission is disciple, uh, disciple making. The, the method is always relational. And I, I believe that multiplication is always inevitable. I believe if we are embodying what Jesus calls us to do, multiplication will happen. Because I will tell one or two, and they will tell one or two. Both of them will tell one or two. And this begins to move and expand faster than we can even keep up with. Can you imagine a church that lived that? I mean, is that what you read? I mean, because I feel like that's what I'm reading here. But I I think we can get caught up in this idea of multiplication and get kind of nervous about it and not want to do that. But he also says that they just added to their number daily. There's a sense of faithfulness that that God was going to add the number. It was to those that he would call and he would draw. And it's up to us to go, to go and come alongside of those people. This is such a powerful kind of understanding. So the mission is disciple-making, the method is relational, and the multiplication is inevitable. It's incredible. Do so you know how many people will move into to Jacksonville this year, 2013? Anybody, any guess? 2,500? About 9 to 10,000 people will move into Jacksonville this year. We, we, in the past 10 years, we've experienced about a 1% growth every single year. Uh, that That's roughly between 8 and 10,000. It's kind of moving back and forth there. So Somewhere between eight and 10,000 people will move in here. Church statistics say that, that there needs to be about one church for every 1,000 um, people, and that's like that's like really high, you know, or really low, I feel like, as far as many churches we need. Many times as we were launching this church, you know, you get kind of some of these things and understanding of, of um, Christians many times that have this understanding, of why do we need another church? Many of you have driven by new church and be like, why do we need another church? There's a church on every corner. I feel like as Christians sometimes... We almost like have like that annoys us. There's a church on every corner. Like that that annoys us. Anybody ever felt that before? I think I've kind of had that mindset. Like, why do we need another church? And we just feel like, well, this church is struggling. Well, the truth of the matter is is that we have to have it just to keep up with the population, let alone actually impact our community. And so we get, we get caught up in our own circles and our own institutions and organizations and think about what we need and we forget that this is about the kingdom of God and the, the scoreboard that he gave us, the mission that he gave us. And, and so moving from this mindset of, of, oh man, why do we need another church? God, will you pour out your spirit in this community and bring life to those that, that, that are dying and hurting uh, the book of Revelation is, is a revelation of John, and he's speaking some prophetic words uh, about uh, different churches that were very widely known. And, and in chapter three, he kind of, kind of issues kind of this prophetic statement and warning, and, and kind of an encouragement, and just like a, a kind of a painful encouragement for them to the church at Sardis. And he says, "You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead." You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And, and I, I just hope to God that people wouldn't just think that because we've got some things going and there's people coming and there, there's good things going on that there's a reputation for life. But really, everyone in the, in the church is just crying themselves to sleep at night because we're dead, because we're hurting, because we haven't connected ourselves to the vine. We haven't been comforted by the Holy Spirit I would hope we would never have this reputation, but really on the inside, we would be dead. And I pray that God would bring us into that life, that life that doesn't only impact us, but, but we could add to the number daily, those who are being saved, those who are being made into disciples, and that's always our mission, that's always our scoreboard. And it's not just a, a, about weekend numbers, it's not just a, a, about justice product, uh, projects, it's about... The growth that's taking place is about disciples being made because if you can tell two people and you can tell two people, we begin to multiply, and it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Christ in us and, and the kingdom of God, and that's what it's all about. I want to ask you to do something a little bit interesting, a little bit different for this time of our service. Many of you will see a, a note card, actually, every, every one of you will see a note card under your... under your um. Your chair, if you'll grab that and grab a pin close to you. Lots of pins. You probably thought it was real cluttered in here. when You walked in. There's a reason for it. Gra- I want you to grab that. Go ahead, everyone. I need everyone to grab that. Grab a pin. Uh, we're going to do a, a little kind of fun exercise um, here for a second. And we're just going to get a picture of what, what God's doing here. Okay. I want you to get that out. Uh, on one side of it, um, I want you to write uh, like long ways. I want you to write three words. I want you to write three words. I want you to write, you to write mission. Method and multiplication, I want you to, to, you can add disciple making, relational, inevitable if you want, but get those three words, mission, method, I want you to write those three words real quick on one side of it, okay, on the other side, we've been doing, those are the M's, those are the M words, (laughs) you guys think I'm like one of those preachers, I'm usually not, but today, just how it is, okay, mission, method, and multiplication, that's a tough word to spell. Put that up on the screen. No, they don't have it back there. <laughs> um, so put those three words. And I want you to flip it over and horizontally, I want you to write five words. Just to write five words with me. All right, I want you to write the word friends. Just at the top, just write friends. Kind of going horizontally, I want you to write family. Right next to that, I want you to write firm, or write factory, something that would represent work, what you do. Family, friends, Factory, firm, whatever you want to call it. I want you to write fellowship next. And lastly, I want you to write fun. We launched our anchor groups three to four weeks ago. They're still kind of getting lifted off or really been super excited about what's taking place there. Um, and these are kind of what makes up what our anchor groups are all about it's about family, it's about friends, it's about fun. You could add food on there too <laughs> if you want to, if you want to add a sixth word. Um, it, it's about getting people together, having fun, having fellowship, breaking bread, looking at what God's doing in our life. Okay, here's what I want you to do over the next 60 seconds. With those five words up there, There's probably, hey, I want you to think o- about people in your life that would be interested in th- having fun with you. <laughs> and, and maybe having fellowship, and maybe family members, maybe friends, maybe people at work. And, and we're going to take 60 seconds. I don't want you to write as many people on that piece, piece of paper under those things as you can. All right, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. You thought I was kidding. I'm I'm dead serious. I want you to go. Write as many people as you can on there that may be interested in something like that. Maybe you haven't joined the anchor group. Maybe you put your name first. (laughs) People that would be into what's taking place. Fast as you can, write them out. Okay, that's one minute. How many people did you write down? Eleven people. How many people did you write down? Doesn't matter. How many did you write? How many did you write down? How many did you guys write down? Eight, nine, eight, nine, eight, nine. Okay, here, here's, here's the, the point here in doing that. You can keep writing those down if you want. Some of you wrote down. How many of how you many feel like you wrote down the most? Anybody? How many did you write down? What's the most? Guys, don't be scared. You can say it. <laughs> Sixteen. Man, can you imagine what would happen? Okay. In the next few minutes, we're going to have some worship. We're going to join together in taking the Lord's Supper. And here's what I want you to do during that time at some point. I want you to just look over that list. I want you to pray over that list. And, and I believe that God's maybe going to lead you to a few specific people that you can put your arm around. Do the work of the Holy Spirit. Be a comforter for them. You can make a phone call when you leave here. I want you to make a phone call when you leave here today. And invite them to your anchor group. If you're not involved in one, or if, hey, maybe there's not one that's on my night of the week that I need, talk to Caleb. Caleb, raise your hand so everybody knows who you are. See Caleb. We'll get you connected. We'll figure out a way. There's business cards when you leave if you're not connected. I want you to go. I want you to call people that you want to do life with people that you want to grow with, you you think could really benefit from just having a good time, that could be together in fellowship, people that that aren't connected to another body. It's not what this is about. It's about making disciples, okay? I don't want you to hold back, but in this next few moments, I believe there'll be some specific people that that God just draws your heart to, the only people that you can think about right now on that whole list that God's going to draw you to, and I want you to, to reach out this week. I want you to invite them in to community. And here's what I believe is going to happen in this process is you're going to enjoy your life more than you have than you did last week or the week before. I, I believe that, that they're going to enjoy their life more than they have before. I believe that we're going to see growth. We're going to see disciples as we begin to, to reach out and see. That's the scoreboard. It's not just about getting people there. It's about a process that God's growing us and transforming us in. Eight, nine, eight, nine, 16, 10, four, Three twenty. Can you just imagine what God can do to this? It's, it's, a, it's an exercise. It's about walking. It's not about boom, there's 3,000 people. They added to their number daily. They were committed to the mission. They were doing life together. They were willing to do whatever it takes to love those in need. If we've been focused on anything else, let's get locked into disciple making. If we've been locked into style, let's, let's move on. If we've been locked into certain ideals that we've had, let's get over them, okay? When unity happens between believers, multiplication is inevitable. Believe that God's gonna do something in you and through you this week. It's not about pointing people to yourself. It's about pointing people to Jesus. I can't wait over the next couple of weeks to hear the stories that you share of what God does in your family and your friends, people at work, people that you like to have fun with. Can't wait to hear the stories. Let's pray. He's gonna, they're gonna lead us in worship today. God, you're at the center of it all. God, I pray that there would be a pursuit towards you. God, there'd be obedience. God, help us to not just get focused on numbers. Help us to get focused on you, God. And out of that love, out of that relationship, you birth life. You birth Purpose, God. Because I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we need that. God, we're, we're dying without it. God, bring us into your mission. Bring us into your cause. Help us to be connected in relationship. If we make it about anything else, God, correct us. God, I believe in these people. I believe that you've inspired these people. I believe they're all here on purpose. God, and I believe that you can do incredible things through us as we walk in obedience. God, set us free from our mindset of comfort. Set us free from our personal vanity and pride. God, set us free from those things. Draw us to the cross. God, set us free. We love you. Let's worship with the band today.